Hey everyone, John here. Just a quick word of warning. Uh, we will be spoiling this film in its entirety, so if you have not seen this film and you don't want it spoiled for you, uh, just hit pause real quick and go and watch the movie and then come back and enjoy the show. President, you raised a daughter almost entirely on your own, and she's terrific. So what does it say to you that in the past seven weeks, 59% of this country has begun to question your family values? The president doesn't answer to you, Lewis. Oh, yes, he does, AJ. I'm a citizen. This is my president. And in this country, it is not only permissible to question our leaders, it's our responsibility. But you already know that, don't you, Mr. President? Because you have a deeper love of this country than any man I've ever known. And I want to know what it says to you that in the past seven weeks, 59% of Americans have begun to question your patriotism. Look, if people want to listen to They don't this have a choice. Bob Rumson is the only one doing the talking. People want leadership, Mr. President. And in the absence of genuine leadership, they'll listen to anyone who steps up to the microphone. They want leadership. They're so thirsty for it, they'll crawl through the desert toward a mirage, and when they discover there's no water, they'll drink the sand. Lewis, we have had presidents who are beloved, who couldn't find a coherent sentence with two hands and a flashlight. People don't drink the sand because they're thirsty. They drink the sand because they don't know the difference. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of surviving chick flicks my name is john and i am a podcaster <laughs> my name is sammy and sometimes i'm a podcaster <laughs> and i'm joseph i'm i don't know if i'm a podcaster but i'm here so sometimes you're a sock puppet <laughs> that's very true i haven't been replaced by a sock puppet yet bullshit <laughs> well that's because you're you don't get to take a break <laughs> When I need a break, we just push the episode. Yeah. Like, no episode this week. What's this doing next week? Yeah. <laughs> the downside well, this... of this whole thing being your idea. Yeah, but you said you would do this idea with me, so you're sort of complicit. That's fair. Yeah. You just and then you... point. I just jumped on board, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'll join. Why not? Yeah. <laughs> Sammy's like, I don't have to suffer alone. Well, this week, uh, I brought the suffering, and we're getting downright presidential. So just in case you didn't read what episode was downloading in your app, just for formalities, this week we are bringing back me and Sammy's favorite writer, Aaron Sorkin. Is This is only the, uh, is this our second Sorkin? No, third. Um, no, we, this is our third. This is our third. Yeah, we've done Molly's Game. We did A Few Good Men, right? No, we, no, we, we haven't done A Few Good Men. What was the other social Swartz net, movie? Social, social Network. Right, we yeah, did so, do Social Network. We sure we haven't done anything else? I don't think I'm so. pretty sure we haven't. Because I think we were trying to crowbar the rest of it into this calendar year. It, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I feel like we're missing something. No, no, we haven't done... This is, this is only the third. 
We put a few good men on the schedule, but it just hasn't happened yet. Gotcha. So we didn't do. Um, we haven't done Charles... Moneyball. No. What was the name of that movie he did with uh, recently for Netflix? Uh, for Prime, and it was being the Ricardos. We haven't done that. No, one. no, no, not that, not that one. That's the you one. Know what uh, uh-uh, no, that's not what I'm talking about, though. It's the other one about the trial. Oh, Charles Chicago Seven. No, we haven't done that either. Oh, okay. I forgot right. about that one. That was like my favorite movie of the year. <laughs> I think. Or just something beat it. Anyway, none of that shit matters right now. This week we're doing uh, Sorkin's uh, second collaboration with Rob Reiner. I believe third feature film overall, The American President. Or, as the group text may have been calling it, West Wing Beta. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's... Uh, pause let's play the trailer and then uh we'll let the quote fest begin the president has asked me to convey to you that he's sending his energy bill to the floor with a call for a 10 percent reduction the president's expecting our full support yes he is the Sydney. president's dreaming aj the president Sydney has critically misjudged reality if he honestly thinks that the environmental community is going to whistle a happy tune while rallying support around this pitifully lame mockery of environmental leadership then your boss is the chief executive of fantasy land morning mr president how are you today i couldn't be better my apologies for the interruption mr president i don't know what to say i'm speechless all evidence to the contrary what would happen if I called Sydney Wade and asked her to be my date at the state dinner on Thursday evening? <sighs> President, you can't just go out on a date. I'm having dinner at the White House. I'm having lunch at the Kremlin. I don't know what happened. One minute I was calling him a mockery of an environmental leader. The next minute I had a date. She didn't say anything about me. Well, no, sir, but I can pass her a note before study hall. Would you like to dance? Yeah, I guess. I mean, yes, sir. I'd love to. Never mind that she is the hired gun of an ultra-liberal political action committee. And never mind that his 12-year-old daughter is sleeping down the hall. Lucy, are you okay with this? My having dinner with a lady? Dad, it's cool. Just go for it. and I'm running for president. In the past seven weeks, 59% of the country has begun to question your family value. This poll doesn't talk about my presidency. This poll talks about my life. Now, I gotta nip this in the bud. This has catastrophe written all over it. Sydney, the man is the leader of the free world. He's brilliant, he's funny, he's an above average dancer. Isn't it possible our standards are just a tad high? think there'll ever be a time when you can stand in a room with me and not think of me as the president? All right, The American President, starring Michael Douglas, Annette Bening, Martin Sheen, David Paymer, Samantha Mathis, Michael J. Fox, John Mahoney, Anna DeVray Smith, Wendy Malick, Richard Dreyfus, and little Josh Molina. 
Written by Aaron Sorkin and directed by Rob Reiner. This is going to be, I can, I can guess uh, the answers this week. But Joseph, Sammy, when did you uh, first see this movie? Well, see, I first saw this movie. Joseph, I was going to say you're the overachiever. <laughs> What's that? I was going to say you're the overachiever this week. Uh, hey, I- it, was long, it was a long time ago. Uh, yeah. I, I want to say it was on VHS, and I, my mom rented it because she wanted to see it. I just remember watching yeah. it with her. It's been a while since I've seen it, though, again. So this is what another, it's been like almost 20-something years. Yeah. <laughs> Sammy? Um, so it's been roughly 24 hours. <laughs> but hey, you had a 48 hour window, though. And I, it was 24, and I gave you an extra 24. So this you're welcome. Whenever I really started paying attention to Sorkin and getting into stuff, I did go back and actually watch, watch this movie start to finish. I just don't remember when exactly that was, but. It was around the time I was binging West Wing on DVD and, you know, watching A Few Good Men for the thousandth time. So I'm going to do a really quick plot synopsis that I did not prepare for. Uh, if you haven't seen the movie, um, Michael Douglas plays President Andrew Shepard. He is an incredibly popular president. Um, following a recent speech he, had, he made, he has a 63% approval rating. This is back whenever... You know, presidents were popular. And I said popular, not cult figures. Um, With the State of the Union approaching, the president is trying to pass the uh, controversial crime bill, which is about crime control, not gun control, because gun control means we're wimps and soft on crime. Also, President Shepard is lonely as before the election, his wife succumbed to cancer. So he is a president in the office without a first lady, but he has a first daughter. At the same time, the environmental lobby is trying to push for a bill that would call for auto manufacturers to give it, um, do a 20% reduction in carbon emissions over the course of 10 years. Um, this is referred to mostly as a pipe dream uh, because uh, even the Democratic leaders in office do not think this has a chance of passing. Uh, the environmental lobby hires uh, Sidney Allen Wade, played, played by Annette Benning, to help push the president into pa- putting this legislation, legislation forward. And in doing so, the president falls in love and asks her out to join him for a state dinner where they honor the new French president and his w- wife. And a shitstorm begins because the president is not doing his job, but instead trying to woo this woman and kind of failing on almost all fronts. Uh, in the end, his uh, approval rating goes down. He's losing votes towards uh, passing the gun control bill. or And also at the same time, Sidney Ellen Wade is getting uh, the votes she needs that the president promised if uh, she got so many votes, he would kick in the last 10 to pass to put forth the carbon emissions bill. Unfortunately, the president gets a tip from her that things are not going well, and he has the ability to put to push forth the crime bill and get, win back the votes, and ends up losing support and the girl at the same time, only for him to give an impassioned speech calling out 
Republican uh, presidential candidate Bob Rumson, who will remind you every five minutes that his name is Bob Rumson and that he is running for president, played by Richard Dreyfus, calling him out, saying that if uh, he's going to attack someone on character, he should come for me because Sidney Ellen Wade uh, is not even in his league and reminds everyone that he is the president and gets the girl as credits roll. Also, there's something in there about a flag burning. As the most recent uh, convert to the West Wing, Sandy, what did you think of this, and how much of it did it remind you of the show? In summary, I think that what I love about this is that it basically answers the question that we have about a lot of films, which is, would this have been better as a television show? And the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. So, interestingly enough, this, uh, this, I, this movie was not Aaron Sorkin's idea. It's not Rob Reiner's idea. The idea came from one Robert Redford, who put forth, who asked the question, what if the president falls in love? And the idea was, and I believe several different writers had different takes. Sorkin um, had an idea. He won the pitch. He wrote it. And he literally wrote a... How many? I, ha I have to double check how many pages it was, but it was over 300 pages. And um, the average movie script is about 120 pages. This was over 300, and he turned it in in a shopping bag. <laughs> of course he did. Yeah. So I, if you think there are a few West Wing ideas in the script uh, as it was... Um, there was even more. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure, I'm sure. Whenever he took the pitch to NBC, he was just he just dusted off. It's like, what ideas did that not use? You know, for all the questions that this film answers, it leaves one glaring question for me. Uh, the if, 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 if the question is what happened to Mandy, there is no answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is still a question I also have. But the other question is. Um, I don't like to sully this man, and I don't want to make fun of anyone that had a substance abuse problem. Um, but for one thing, Sorkin is, um, he's a writer. That's what he does. He loves the theater. He stumbled his way into movies and television, but his first true love is being a playwright. That's what he wanted to be. He also at one point wanted to be an actor, and then, um much like a lot of us, you realize that's probably not a good idea. So he just focused on what he was good at. Also, um, Aaron Sorkin, uh, there's this nasty rumor that like, just that much like uh, Ozzy Osbourne, he uh, experimented with drugs at a certain point. Um, but I, I don't think Aaron would want to be president. As if most of our presidents haven't. Aaron Sorkin is not a lawyer. He's a writer. I, you know, he... He was like a drama major. And all I'm saying is, I don't think his substance abuse issue should have stood in his way. The man had, the man wrote two TV series and several movies <laughs> while battling those said addictions. So, I mean, I the the drugs did and didn't hold him back. In actual seriousness, I'm continually floored by the amount of research it seems that he does for all of his scripts. Yeah. Um, I know in the case of West Wing, he had a writing staff. He may have like gotten, you know, the, the writer's credit. Um, cause I don't know how 
TV writing works, but I know he had a staff and that staff did a lot of, not just story ideas, but also did a lot of the research with or for him, including Lawrence O'Donnell, who has or had a show on MB, on MSNBC. I don't know anymore if he does, cause I haven't watched cable news since, uh, uh, the last election nearly gave me a heart attack. So <laughs> moving forward, but, um, so he and also, he had a lot of people on there that were creative consultants that worked in politics and the media that helped him. So with this, I'm sure a lot of the research he did on his own. I mean, and look at Tom Clancy. Uh, <laughs> that man uh, looked up, my, uh, was able to just, you know, not even on Google, not even on the Internet, you know, old school pen and paper, like reading books, learn all this shit about submarines and wrote the hunt for red October and got a visit by the government wanting to know how he knew all this shit. Cause that's how accurate he got. Yeah. I, you know, I mean, that's just, I don't know. That seems apparent to me. There's like a level of realism and I felt the same way about this film as I do. Cause there is a lot of comparisons to the West Wing. I mean, obviously yeah. you're following the president, you're following the white house staff, like you're mm. getting an inside look, but one of the things that I just find distinctly unique, and you can disagree with me, but... I usually do, but go ahead. The way that he writes, the best way I can describe it is, not only is it, like, generally speaking, very, very well-paced and feels like an actual conversation actual people would be having. You know sometimes when you're watching a movie or a film and there's... Do you ever question what... If those characters were real people, what their conversation would be after they left the room? Mm, kind of. Um, yeah. But you know what I mean? Do you, do you ever feel like when you're listening to dialogue or you're you're paying attention to the pace of a show or a movie, there's like a gap. And you feel like maybe part of the conversation wasn't written or wasn't had on screen. Well, not, to, not to mock Aaron, but... Um, the way his character, the way he writes dialogue and the way his characters speak, I don't think there's very little that wasn't written. <laughs> right. No, but that's, that's my no. point. I guess that's my point is I never, I don't feel like I'm generally ever watching a scene where at the end of the scene I go, you know, I wonder what the characters would have said if they were real people like off the screen. Like, I wonder what the continuation yeah. of that conversation would have been. I don't ever feel like the conversation wasn't finished or that the the scene wasn't filled out. Yeah. I, I do just take one mild issue with what you're saying. It's a mild disagreement and you're talking about how real it feels with Sorkin. I, I lump him in with um, the reason I love his dialogue is because it has a rhythm. It has a pace to it. It's almost poetry. And that's why I like his writing and why I like Tarantino's writing and why I like, some of Kevin Smith's writing, it's because there is that degree of realism and there is that flow and that natural rhythm to it. But also, it's, you know, hyper-realistic. Like, it, it's either a little bit faster or there's a shitload of uh, Star Wars references. Or in the case of Sorkin, <laughs> a shitload of Gilbert and Sullivan references <laughs> for some... Jesus, sir. But also, uh, thank you. <laughs> It's it's once well, again. I hate to bring this. We we need to add this to the bingo board. But anytime I bring up Gilmore Girls, it's why I think you would like that show, um, because it is the closest to his writing style that I think that I have ever seen. 
Yeah. Um, it is fun. Really fun anecdote. Whenever uh, the, he was doing the newsroom on HBO and Olivia Munn uh, was brought in to do her character, he actually told her to slow down. So he, she out Sorkin Sorkin. Dear Lord. <laughs> um, and yeah, do you want to? Oh, go ahead. I was like, yeah, I, I agree with John. Like I said, it's, but also, because it is kind of realistic, but he does have his own flair to it. But even all of his movies and even The West Wing is like, it's much more of an idealized version of what the U.S. presidency should be. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, well you know, and I, one thing. I, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, one thing Sorkin loves, and if you pay attention to the majority of his uh, output, he loves the behind the scenes story True. like sports night was behind the scenes of like an espn kind of network west wing is behind the scenes of a president you know a presidency studio newsroom. 60 was behind the scenes of an snl type show newsroom cable news uh being the ricardos behind the scenes of i love lucy uh moneyball behind the scenes of um was the oakland days that is his, I mean, that is kind of a recurring motif in his, uh, in his, you know, filmography, for lack of a better word. Because I can't pronounce I, oeuvre. <laughs> I think this is an incredibly simplistic way to put this. It's not, like, all-encompassing, but kind of where I categorize it is. He doesn't necessarily exactly write the way that people talk, but I think he writes the way that people think. Yeah. Uh, I, I yeah. get behind that. Well, and plus, you know, he does have that flair for the theatrical because um, he grew up uh, whenever he was young, he did a lot of second acts, which means um, he would go see a show, but he would primarily just get to see the second act for free because he got there after inter intermission. He explained this. Uh, and then while um, he was living with a girl, he, they didn't, uh, she and that, she and her boyfriend went out one weekend and he had a, a typewriter and because they didn't have cable or anything, they he had to entertain him some in some ways. So he just started writing dialogue to entertain himself. And I think that's where he got his knack for. I think what he does best. I I think some of his stories are pretty basic. You know, just about anyone could do them. But he writes the, the dialogue so well. It doesn't matter that I mean. What if the president fell in love? I mean, there's two presidential romantic comedies, both of which shared this White House set, along with the West Wing. So he took Moneyball and, you know, he, he rewrote Steve Zalian, and Steve Zalian is an Oscar-winning screenwriter. I mean, the man wrote Schindler's List. Can you imagine being in a room with that man as an actor and just saying, hey, uh, Aaron, do you think we could add this? Or I just wanted to try that. I feel like he, that's just I, something you don't do. No, um, when you're making a film or something, if you're, you know, it's a collaborative medium. So if something isn't working for an actor and they have a different idea or want to try something, a good director will tell them, yeah, let's try it. And Kevin Smith will be like, no, stick to the script. He's only, let, to, to my knowledge, Kevin Smith has only let one person ad lib. And I think that was Chris Rock. Well, and I guess Bruce Willis, who allegedly may have torn pages of dialogue out of a cop-out, and quite frankly, he could have torn a little more out. 
you know, I, I don't think Kevin Smith is the only one that might regret letting Chris Rock ad lib. I think the Academies regret that decision also. No, um, for Kevin Smith, it made it funnier. Because I won't say what the ad libs were. I know what they were. By the by the way, um, in case this is your first episode and you're new here, um, welcome. Interesting choice. And anytime that we do an Aaron Sorkin film, the episode is 70% us just talking about the writer. Yeah. As opposed the to other episode other film where we maybe spend five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I believe there are many episodes where we have spent zero minutes on the writer. <laughs> and we make up for all of that. Sometimes we are comparing athletes on who's the better. <laughs> you know, it's a free-for-all. If, if you came here to serious, uh, for serious film discussion and dissection, film spotting is down the hall. That's where you need to go. <laughs> Although, All I'm just yeah. saying is if you came here for anything other than the plot synopsis of this film and at least <laughs> half an hour of our love for Aaron Sorkin, you came to the wrong podcast. <laughs> Although, uh, you do, I do have to say, Rob Reiner did a really good job with this because I forgot he directed this movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was funny whenever we uh, finally committed to doing this episode, uh, there was just a... Um, I don't remember who who uh, like what outlet put the article out, but it was the top seven Rob Reiner films, and I I think I would have shuffled a couple the order they were in, but this was number seven. Rob Reiner has made very good films, and then there was a point where he decided I'm going to make forgettable tripe that no one's going to watch. <laughs> I think that began with Alex and Emma, and the only one that possibly stood out. From that point on, was like bucket list. <clears throat> I didn't even realize he did that movie. Yeah, I didn't realize he did Alex and Emma either. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I so funny story. Around the same time I was getting into uh, Aaron Sorkin, I was really into getting into the entire filmography of a bunch of directors, and Rob Reiner somehow ended up on that list. And when you look at it, like his great films, the ones that you know people talk about and quote, you know, all these years later, it's easy to see why you would want to see everything he did. And then I saw Alex and Emma in the theaters and I was like, well, that's over. Uh, (laughs) You know, that wasn't that bad of a film that, you know, I say that and I, but when you're comparing, (laughs) but when you're comparing stand by me, misery, a few good men, this is spinal tap American president, the other two, right. the, uh, Princess Bride. Princess Bride. Yeah. Point Bride. taken. Yeah. And I, I'm sure one day we're going to get to Alex and Emma on the show. <sighs> but <laughs> Like I said, it's not a bad movie, but and I own it. And ask me the last time I watched it. <laughs> 30 I, can years. Tell you the, I can tell you the last time I saw it. It was also the first time I saw it. And I think I, too, owned it for a while for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's. I've got a long list of films I would put ahead of that one for us to do. Yeah, is Caligula one of them? Because I feel like that that might be. Nope. The... That's never on the list for her, John. What do you? Nope. Thinking? Fine, we're doing the room. <laughs> I would rather. Oh wow! <laughs> and there are two knights, legitimate knights in Caligula. <laughs> There's a whole bunch of actors that should have known better. I'd rather watch Fifty Shades. 
Ugh. I'd rather watch Caligula because at least it has a drunk. Oh wait, too many words. It has Peter O'Toole in it. <laughs> Ooh, I'm still not convinced. Knew a movie was being filmed. <laughs> every single word out of that man's mouth slurred like a drunk. Caligula, come here, boy. Anyway, we're talking about an American president. We haven't. I mean, we talked a little bit about the. Um, plot i'm but is this a plot that if you would just someone someone had said not knowing sorkin wrote it this is about the president falling in love how much of a shit would you give not much because well, yeah it like like i said it i'm so glad that the west wing answered the question of yes this would be better as a show even though the west wing was not about the president falling in love I think that's such like a what you can do with that idea is so complex, mm. but they still did a good job in a couple of hours. I just think that it, it is a simplistic plot. Yeah, it is a simplistic plot that they do try to do a lot in, which, again, West Wing did the... However I feel about this movie, let's just go ahead and put this out on the table. The West Wing did it better. I'm just going to say that now. But think about this, too. Like, I mean, you can't really blame the film for that. Seinfeld was a show no. about nothing. Yeah. But I, I think my my thing is um, that West Wing being a show and being a network show that gave you 22 episodes a season, you really got to flesh things out, which means you also have sometimes a lot of filler. But um, West Wing is one of those shows that I, I would still maintain – does not have a lot of filler episodes. Because, I mean, the, this movie has the plot of the president falling in love, but also trying to pass the crime, leg- the crime bill. The environmental lobby trying to pass the um, emissions um, thing. Uh, you got a president dealing with the loss of his wife and trying to raise a daughter. There's a lot going on here that I think does would, would have gotten the benefit of either Another half hour, and I can't believe I am saying that. It's like, how often do I advocate for the movie should be longer? But the show gave him, let him give characters their moments. And I'm not saying all the characters didn't have their moments, but there are some that had... Mm, not, there are some characters in this movie that didn't really have a moment. Like, um, there, his... Do what? There were some that were barely in the movie. Yeah, like um, the character of uh, Jeannie, uh, his personal aide, that's Charlie in the West Wing. Charlie got so many arcs. He was a major character. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot you're in this movie. <laughs> like, I don't remember a single line of dialogue she has. I remember ones that, you know, she had said to her. I do think this also, um, like, it asks... Exactly the point of the movie, like the plot summary, is really interesting, which is what would, you know, what would happen if the president fell in love? As obsessed as our country is with celebrity culture, 
And that is completely evidenced by the fact that we, like, regularly, when given opportunity, elect celebrities to office. And the last time... Look, that we've only done that twice. In a country- <laughs> we've only done that was- twice, and I have strong opinions about both. <laughs> the um, last time this country paid this much attention to a court hearing was O.J. Simpson. Um, so our country um, is like, ma'am, there is a court hearing right now. I think the entire world is paying attention to. No, that's what I'm saying. Like until now, <laughs> until now, the last time someone paid att- the country paid this much attention was OJ Simpson. So mm. our well, we didn't really have a choice there. <laughs> right. Our country's kind of obsessed with it. So, but I don't think we've ever been put in that. I don't think we've ever had that happen. That's what I found interesting no. about it. I. I think the only um, the only candidate I know of that wasn't married or at least in a partnership whenever they were running for office was Giuliani. Yeah, hmm. you know, I it's it's one of those things where it's kind of gotten to the point where I question if it's like conspiracy theory time, if it's like being part of the aristocracy or royalty, you have to be married to go into politics. It's just an unusual. I, I I think it has more to do with it didn't matter it doesn't matter what party you are and it's now getting better about not just be having to be heteronormative because look at uh, Mayor Pete I still cannot pronounce his last name but showing that you're in a a marriage or a civil partnership or you know some or at least a relationship shows that you have some kind of quote unquote family values one party tends to bang that drum a little bit louder than the other. I mean, it shows... It's hard for somebody to be single to get elected. Yeah. I mean, the only one I know of, and this person just got engaged, I saw, uh, but she didn't run for president. She was just running for, you know, Congress was AOC. Yeah. Yeah. But also, you know, I don't know if we give as much of a shit about the family of congress people as we do the presidency and i'm saying and we do give a shit on some level yeah but the president's one of those like you have to it it's one of those that looks better if they have a family already or at least a wife yeah or husband depending on right think about it like uh, like okay and so honestly no no hate i i'm i'm really not i'm using this as an example i'm i'm not hating on them or their choices but I kind of look at the Clintons as a prime example of this. I'm not saying that they didn't work through their marriage on their own. That's completely possible. Other people have done it. I'm just saying, I think it's a legitimate question to wonder if they stayed together after, you know, his indiscretions for political benefit. A hundred percent. Yeah. Well, and also it depends on uh, the, the person, like, um, first of all, I've met the Clintons, Bill and Hillary. Look at me, humble bragging. Um, <laughs> and Al Gore, and a dead senator. Um, but I, I think there is a world of difference uh, between, to me, a marriage like the Clintons and the Trumps versus like the Obamas and the Bushes, where you can tell that. Uh, the couples genuinely do love each other in one camp and are possibly there for political or whatever other gain they can have. Like, I genuinely believe George W. Bush, 
a man I, who I do not have the highest uh, opinion of genuinely loves Laura and and vice know, versa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now, like like I said, in the other two, like you know, Bill Clinton and, and Hillary Clinton, and even Melania. Mm-hmm. I don't think these of us want to love each other more than they love themselves. <laughs> yeah. Well, and another good example, and we only, and honestly, we really only, I can see this in like the movie now, but like ugh, Richard and Pat Nixon, um, as much as those two fought, she was always in his corner, no matter what, no, even if she didn't agree with him. You know, so for better or worse, right. you, know, you know, she genuinely loved them. Mm-hmm. Might have thought about smothering him with a pillow a couple of times, but you know, in that just but, marriage in general, who hasn't thought about that? Yeah. You know? <laughs> so I feel like we have not but even talked I, about this. I, I think that's one of the things that kind of that kind of made like a you know a a pretty basic plot interesting because it was um, <coughs> it focused on something that in American culture we have a lot of fascination with, which is. Mm-hmm celebrities and their love lives because we like to think we're involved yeah well and also we do live in an era now and i think this did at least start around the kennedys where politicians are celebrities now we are just as interested in you know their lives as we are brad pitt angelina jolie i know they're not together but you know do what johnny depp and amber heard right I mean, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if we did one. It would surprise me if we ever did have a can a president that was single. If that happened, I believe it would happen like while they were in office. Something happened to the first lady. Yeah, I would agree. But, with that. Which I do think, yeah. by the way, that that was a really good idea that they went that route. Not that he was just single, but mm. that his he was a widower. Was, yeah. Yeah, and they even have, you know, the, the poor press secretary dropping that line about we've never had the problem parading you out there as the handsome widower. Um, but, um, and also it did raise the question, like, ha- had, you know, she not died, that probably helped. I don't want to use Biden just because the man is 70, but let's say uh, Biden was a little bit younger and was elected and something happened to Jill. Like they're younger now, but they, you know, this all happened. Would could he date? Oh, and I now remember the point. Because my point is because no, sometimes you look at whoever is in office and you think they should be working twenty four seven, and you know, like the Repu- and I'm sorry to everyone in their in your parties, but Republicans would give Obama shit for going to see some show, or uh, we'll give. Kamala Harris shit for going to a ba- a local bakery while in town for something, but at the same time we also did the same shit to Trump. You know, every time he was playing golf or to George W. Bush, every time he was doing something that wasn't that we didn't see presidential. So I can only imagine that the shit storm that happened in this movie in real life would honestly be worse. Oh, it'd been a lot worse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also, those two wouldn't have been able to have the private dates because we would have had to have CNN and Fox and MSNBC on the date with them, which would be the not the worst reality show ever, but up there. No, but it, it, it would have definitely 
especially at the daytime, it'd be like it would be nonstop. You would never not hear about it. Yeah. Yeah, I think the movie toned it down just like a little bit, but yeah, um, it did a really good job of bringing that element into it. I, I wouldn't call it a subplot, but almost like a can't think of the right word for it, but like a a little bit of a a detour. Not a detour, but like um tangent. Oh wait, that's this show. <laughs> well, yeah, but kind of like a like a little bit of a hey, I'm gonna throw in this like m- not morale. It's not the moral of the story, but I'm gonna throw in like a a point or a or a um something I'm trying to drive home. You know, mm-hmm. I that's kind of what that's kind of what that was. We're like whatever we feel about celebrities relationships and how invested we get in them. I think it'd be so much more if it were the president, like everybody, the whole media, everybody was involved in his business and hadn't like, he lost character Mm -hmm. based on the fact that he was in a relationship because the country had an opinion about it. Yeah. Well, like that had anything to do with his fitness to run the country. Yeah. Well, and as president, you are held to a higher standard than, you know, yeah, well, or at least you're supposed to be, you know. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I remember even my mom, up to a certain point, um, didn't matter who was office was in office, she respected the office of president. So, it didn't matter who was in there, that was her president, so she supported whatever he did. Didn't mean she liked it all the time. Someone broke her. Uh, <laughs> just saying. Um, but like the the meatloaf night that uh, when Sydney came to the uh, the residence and was there with the daughter and they were having dinner and he had to cut it short because uh, the Libyans bombed Seastad, which was a whole other subplot about this 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 missile thing that was just there, and he had to cut it short to because the Libyans bombed it and. You know, the first use of the uh, the line about um, proportional response. Or, but can you imagine CNN and Fox, you know, whoever is in the offices, to be like, when the Libyans were attacking, where was the president? He was having dinner with this woman. <laughs> Probably make some some underhanded deal to screw over America. That, that- uh, well. That would have been Alex Jones. Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, even in this movie, like whenever it's uh, whenever they get the dirt on her that um, she was at an anti-apartheid uh, demonstration and a flag was burned. She did not burn the flag, but uh, it was like the third story on the news that the president's girlfriend was once there. And uh, I may spoil one of my my best lines, but it's okay. Between Sammy and me, we have about sixty. Uh, <laughs> About okay, so the third story on the news is this: that 13 years ago, before I was met this woman, before I was president, she was at a thing where a flag was burned, where no crime was being committed, and it was in protest of a thing that was so unpopular. It's not no longer, you know, a practice. Tell me, what was the fourth story? <laughs> exactly, and I. I don't know if it, I don't know if it started in politics or if it started in popular culture, it doesn't really matter, but it's also this very weird obsession we have, I think, in our culture of holding people's past against them as though, you know, one decision that you make, even though it may Mm -hmm. be a right, and I'm not like attuning this to what she did or didn't do in the 
the show. I guess the tendency we have to write people off because of a decision they made in their past. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a little bit... I think the tendency to write people off for something they did once upon a time, that's just human nature. It is. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's... You know, the, thir- the third person ever on this planet murdered the fourth. <laughs> so <laughs> if, we were, if we were to take Genesis as the true beginning of humanity, <laughs> we have always been terrible. And we will always hold people accountable for something they did in the past. Um, and, you know, like, today it was announced Steven Tyler went into rehab for a relapse. And I'm like, and I'm like, I don't judge this man for that because I know he struggled. And I know sometimes you can't hold everyone's past against them. And then there's the past you can, like <clears throat> Roman Polanski. It, it kind of depends on what you did and when you did it, too. Right. I think it depends on what you did, when you did it, and whether or mm-hmm. not you're remorseful for it. You know, yeah. obviously that makes a difference. If you have, if you yeah. don't think you did anything wrong and you have, like, you've made no effort to change that behavior, that's one thing. Yeah. But, well, and I'm, I'm going to expand on that and I'm going to say something that is going to be incredibly unpopular, but it's also true. You all, it also helps if you die before you do it, do it again. Because um, Michael Jackson did not die before. He had two child molestation trials thrown at him, and he did beat them. But there's still that stigma around him. And legally speaking, you know, he was tried by a jury of his peers. He was found not guilty. So in the eyes of the law, Michael Jackson's not a child molester, but we still think about that. But we, but he never lost the, the majority of his fan base because he was Michael Jackson. I made the point one time uh, at a dinner and someone agreed with me that if you, if your art is good enough, you can, it used to be, you could almost get away with any crime because Michael Jackson allegedly touched kids, got away with it, still the king of pop. Meanwhile, Gary Glitter is in prison and should never be released because rock and roll part two is not that good of a song. (laughs) But... Now, but now that we are holding paths against people for better or worse, we we deified David Bowie, who slept with many an underage girl because that's just what rock stars did in the seventies. Doesn't make it right; it just happened. Uh, DMX, we sort of deified, and that man had many many things he did wrong because he was homophobic. He, you know, had couple brushings with the law, including impersonating an FBI agent. But he did that charming video where he uh, rapped and barked along with uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. So we're going we're gonna to let that slide. Well, not, only that, not only that, you have somebody like uh, Alfred Hitchcock, who was beloved and was oh. terrible towards women. Yeah. I, I never like to throw a lot of people under the bus, but when the Soska sisters got on their uh, crusade about burning Brian Singer at the stake, which, by the way, I totally agreed with that. But, uh, like, any time a director allegedly did anything to a woman or anyone underage, they were rightfully, you know, burning them at the stake. Like, they were even, like, anti-Tarantino because, you know, Tarantino nearly got Uma Thurman killed on the set of Kill Bill. But those two deified Hitchcock, and it's just like, like, 
Quentin Tarantino is practically a saint in the compared to Alfred Hitchcock. Oh, definitely. Yeah. If you need proof of this, talk to, I don't know, Tippy Hedren. <laughs> that man fucked her up. I believe she still did that movie with the lions. Oh, I forgot that movie. <laughs> oh, Look, I think I think the thing is we all end up coming back to the same conclusion, which is we're all stunned. Except yeah. for Keanu Reeves, who is the embodiment of a perfect human being who's never done a single thing wrong. Well, uh, there was the English accent in Dracula. He did do that. Yeah, I mean, and that exists. He, that, he also made not... the walk. <laughs> and we forgive him for it. <laughs> I mean, the man is now is forever synonymous with the word, whoa. But, I mean, <laughs> but at the same time, even Keanu Reeves, we should not put celebrities, politicians, really anyone on these pedestals because we are all human. We all fuck up. We're all going to have some, a Some fuck up worse than others. Sometimes you're just going to go on stage and slap a person in front of everybody. You know, it happens. Yeah. <laughs> but, no, no, I mean, but you're not wrong. And But Will Smith, we always continually thought of him as this nice guy, and then he had that one moment, and he's never going to be able to live down. Oh no! Right. To which you know, when the tr- when the truth of the matter is, it's like he was a millionaire that slapped another millionaire on live television in a popularity contest that is basically <laughs> meaningless. And I say that as the one who does the Oscar challenge every year. So <laughs> and and think about you know think about the trial that's going on right now. I mean, honestly. All of the uh, dirty laundry getting aired am, out about both of them. Yeah, I am so sick of that. And if anyone, and I've not posted anything about it on social media, but I'm tired of the memes. I'm because I am very much. I believe women whenever they tell me they've been abused, and I look at that trial and I'm like, these are both two toxic people that got into a relationship, and I think they were both just terrible to each other. Like. I know a lot of Johnny Depp's exes have come out and said, you know, he never touched them, never, you know, laid a hand on them. I believe that. He's he's not been the easiest person to work with. He's been a dick. He's done horrible things. He probably did hit Amber Heard. Amber Heard probably hit Johnny Depp, too. We need to stop airing this shit in public because this is gross. And also, none of this shit really has anything to do with the point of that trial because it was all about him losing work because of a defamation article that he was not even mentioned in. Like, Amber Heard wrote that article never once. I know, but mentioned. you don't technically have to mention the person as long as it's pretty oh. obvious who you're talking about. Right, and because here on the flip side, Evan Rachel Wood, you know, would not name her abuser for the longest time, but if you, you know, can put one and one together and make two, we all knew it was Marilyn Manson. And if you haven't watched Phoenix uh, Rising, highly recommend that. And also, that's a movie that, that's a documentary that made me regret ever liking Marilyn Manson. And in <laughs> retrospect, you go, well, he did tell us who he was from day one. He never really lied. <laughs> he really did God, though, that neither Johnny Depp nor Amber Heard are in the movie we're talking about, sort of, loosely. <laughs> but, but, it is, but it is sort of relevant, considering that, you know, this is a movie where 
a public figure, a very important public figure, did what if anyone else in the world did, did fell in love, guess what? Nobody gives a shit. But because he's the leader of the free world, we gave a shit. And right. What, and whatever happens, and even in the relationships of the real politicians, we give a shit. You know, when things go bad or things go good, like we all were happy when Mayor Pete and his husband uh, had the two kids, and we all remember, uh, if we're old enough, the fucking Clinton trial, where he fucked up and we made Monica Lewinsky the pariah. Yeah, that was a really fucked up time of history. Yeah. <laughs> And think about think about this too. Uh, something else that I think this points out too. And I don't know, like he could have done this on purpose, or it could have been entirely by accident. But if you think about it, we also have this uh, tendency to lump in like part of what they could be critical of of him about. Right? Is not his his personal or political beliefs. It was the woman he was dating, making the assumption that simply mm-hmm. dating her, they must agree on all things political and they must have the same exact ideologies, which that's just not, that's just not reality. But I do think that's the perception and probably Mm -hmm. because most first ladies throughout history, they have pushed their husband's agendas. They have been on board with their, what their, you know, what the president is, is doing. But I think the only difference is she's not the first lady though. Right. She's not the first lady. Yeah. And the fact is, I there's just no way. There's no way that's reality. There's no way that, you know, Ronald Nancy didn't have some arguments because they're just you're two different people. You're not going to agree on everything all the time. Nancy, the punk rockers are yelling about me again. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I just think that taking shots at Reagan in 2022. I, I, you know, I have no idea if that was intentional on the part of Sorkin, whether or not that, you know, he pointed that out. But it's one of the. Well, I think it was intentional. Well, I, I think it's intentional in the fact that um, this is a president that was popular enough to get sixty-three uh, percent approval rating. So much so that Michael J. Fox, who we have not talked about at all, fun fact was born on the exact same day as Aaron Sorkin. That's never going to happen. Also, well, with the exception of the one time there was something called the assault weapons ban. Well, that's one of those things, I, too. I, that... I, feel, I, I didn't want to end on that and enter into a gun conversation. I, I had a point, and I literally lost it. <laughs> but, we're, but we're talking about a time also when a president was popular enough to have 63%, where you could entertain such, an, such a notion and the fact that it was a a relationship, one of those heteronormative relationships um, that started derailing his career. But, oh, and I, I got my point, but he was so popular that it took this woman he'd been on, what, a handful of dates with? What is very frustrating as a viewer is watching a political figure get in there and have legislation they desperately believe in that they will not push for political reasons because Mm -hmm. he the most glaring thing he points out is the whole point their whole goal is re-election when your whole goal is Mm re-election you stop fighting for the legislation that actually matters because that takes a back seat to re-election 
well, what's the point yeah. of getting reelected if you're not going to do anything meaningful with, with your position? But most of the time they don't because they're so concerned about getting reelected, they can't actually do what they want to do. Yeah. I've almost gotten to the point where I, I think like things like campaign promises are not necessarily lies because they do genuinely believe that whenever they get in there, they're going to do some good. And then they get in there and they find out how fucking hard it is. And that no one, even the people that agree with them, are going to back them, or if they, or they will back them, whether or not they agree with them, if they'll push for this, this other thing that they didn't want. I mean, we kind of see that a little bit with uh, milk that we did last year uh, with. Um, oh fuck! I can't believe I am blanking on his name, but Josh Brolin, the you know the man who killed Harvey Milk, wanted him to push for the the pay raises for. Uh, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. It, it, it's just a, a shitty, dirty, fucked up world. And if uh, it's probably been that way all along, I think there was a musical that came along a couple of years ago that kind of also pointed that out. You know what? I think as a liberal, he might be. And, and I don't mean anything by this. I understand there's plenty of people that are liberal that probably stand for this. Um, but as a liberal, it's possible he might be mad to be associated with this. But I think uh, Sorkin is inadvertently making the case for term limits. I, I mean, it's not the worst idea. It is actually probably a very fantastic idea. Because first of all, um, it's great that we limit the president's terms for a number of reasons. But also look at them whenever they come into office and look at them when they leave. All of them look like battered shit by the time they leave. <laughs> too. Because <laughs> that job takes a lot out of you. But also, no one should hold that much power for that long, no matter who they are. It always ends in disaster. Mm-hmm. Well, and but you, but you also just become part of the machine, and you and you and it just never changes. It's just maybe the thing you throw at it as a, as a distraction <laughs> changes from day to day. Yeah, I think they probably most of them go in with the intention of, hey, here are the things I believe in, here are the things I would love to accomplish, but I know in reality that if I walk out of my career or my term having passed one or two of the things that I intended to pass, then I did, I did good. Yeah. Well, and, and to be fair, um, look at Obama. He told us on that, on that first campaign – Day one, he's closing Gitmo. And I was there the day that he closed Gitmo. I believe I was part of the parade. Oh, wait, it's still fucking open. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I believe there's a I, wall half built somewhere that Mexico has yet to pay the bill for. <laughs> I, I believe there's some, uh, some dartboards hung up on the Mexican side. <laughs> I believe the past the past due notice is sitting somewhere on the Mexican president's desk. <laughs> <laughs> um, just just to make a Simpsons reference, it, it, like there's a trash can full of just those bills, kind of like uh, whenever Bart made the collect call to Australia. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, oh, you should show somebody these. <laughs> Trump argues the Mexican president down to a booting. <laughs> It's just going to be a regular loafa, the most spectacular loafa. <laughs> I just remember sitting there listening to that during his speeches. We're going to build a wall and Mexico's going to pay for it. And I was like, shit, when did the American citizens get renamed Mexico? I know, right? 
It's... You said taxpayers wrong, but okay, cool. <laughs> it's cool that you believe that. <laughs> That's where it goes, I, I my feel... bad. I started building a wall, but you are going to have to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, um, we'll get right on that after we solve one or two other problems that we have going on right now. <laughs> I just feel like in this episode we have been incredibly fair in trashing everyone from yes. from Nixon, Reagan. I think the only ones not spare. I think the only one spared is Gerald Ford. That's because he didn't do much. Hey, that man came back to Springfield and had beer and nachos with Homer after the first Bush moved out of Springfield. <laughs> You know, and uh, to be fair, I, I feel like Sorkin does a pretty decent job of, of giving everybody a fair shake. Um, yeah. You know, he, uh, he makes his political ideations known, don't get me wrong. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, you think <laughs> he tries to write other characters. He tries to play devil's advocate. And mm-hmm. um, he, you know, in a in a film this short, you really can't do it so much. But in the West Wing. I had the most like I couldn't I was I was blown away by the fact that he had done this in an episode where he had Rob Lowe's character um, make an argument for school choice, something Mm -hmm. that I'm in favor of. And he was laying out this just like, I mean, absolutely beautiful argument for it that Mm -hmm. made perfect sense only to come to find out that he was like, no, I was just writing the article as a practice for opposition. I totally don't agree with this. This is a terrible idea. And then lays out why he thinks it's a terrible idea. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and then he did it, and he did it to Leo's daughter. Right, yes. But he was also still kind of in love with the prostitute then. So, you know, that he accidentally slept with, you know, because, you know, he may have tripped. <laughs> that was Toby's theory. See, we're slowly getting back into this. You know, um, if you haven't done that, then, you know, are you really living? <laughs> okay, so we, let's talk a little bit about the actual film. Uh, Michael J. Fox, who I would have bet money was like, you know, his test run for Josh Lyman in the West Wing. And he maybe was a little bit, but I just love his character and how passionate he is. Apparently he... um Michael J. Fox did base that character a little bit on George Stephanopoulos because uh, George, before in his days before he hosted an ABC morning show, was you know did work on the Clinton campaign. Well, it's also kind of his prelude to Spin City. Michael J. Fox is absolutely nervous about getting the role because he had just found out he had Parkinson's and he was not letting anybody know, so he was so panicked uh, about the the physical before you do the uh, movie and. Luckily for him, the meds kind of helped, but also apparently the uh, test was only just to check your heart rate and blood pressure. So, oh. so but he was worried about losing out because he wanted this role. Um, and he has one of my favorite meltdowns in the in the movie. <laughs> one of three f bombs in the movie, and still maintained a PG thirteen rating. Well, and totally like perfectly timed and excellent use. Yeah, I, I think all three of the uh, of the of the fucks in this movie were well done. But I'm sorry, Michael J. Fox had the best. <laughs> Just gonna have a big steak dinner and tr- trying to make a list of everyone that tried to fuck us this week. <laughs> Which also led to one of my favorite lines, where he goes, "We just lost him." And he goes, "Good thing, well, otherwise we were gonna have to have a conversation." 
<laughs> We're gonna have to work on our people skills. I do think that he was very much like he did a great mm. job, and I loved his character, which is no mm-hmm. surprise because despite the fact he didn't have the same role as Josh Lyman, that's who he reminds me of. And obviously, like yeah. that's my favorite character. So I I know they talk a lot about the Mary Sue, but writers do sometimes have a tendency to write a character that's supposed to be the them in the show. It's like like Joss Whedon had Xander and uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer because both were, you know, terrible with women and annoying. Um, but I can see Josh Lyman being Aaron's avatar in that show. And so Michael J. Fox, I can almost see the case that that's Aaron a little bit. But I can always tell that a character that really is Aaron is the one that just wants to get his job done so he can go watch Sports Center. <laughs> Aaron Sorgan does not have a TV on with you know Fox and CNN and MSNBC all this shit. His TV is on Sports Center. <laughs> that's that's where his passion. That's lies. Another reason to love him. <laughs> well, I think that's where he goes to to keep from screaming. I also love I also love Martin Sheen's character, and this it's just another mm-hmm. like it's another mm-hmm. parallel between the show and The West Wing because. Mm. You know, honestly, how often is a president truly best friends with their chief of staff? I don't know. But Aaron Sorkin seems to be obsessed with this idea. I, I think in or, order to be the chief of staff, it has to be someone you trust, at least that was up until the last presidency, where you can have six or seven. <laughs> Wait, what? But, um, you know, chief of staff has to be someone that you trust. And I can see... And also, going back to West Wing, Bartlett and Leo weren't necessarily best friends, but they were two people that, like, very much respected each other. And the chief of staff has to be someone that works for you that can say, you're being a dumb fuck right now, stop it. Because one of my favorite moments in all of the West Wing is in the third episode of uh, season one, whenever uh, Leo has had, Bartlett has been just like, angry at everyone and and rightfully so because he's hurting because someone he respects was killed but he but leo just goes in there before the address and he, he's just like you're going to start acting like an adult basically and just tears him a new asshole and then by the end of it they're laughing and shit's copacetic that's probably why it makes so much sense for it to be somebody you have a close relationship with because you mm-hmm. need a chief of staff who's because not everyone can be in a room with the president. And what did what did AJ say something about taking his head out of his ass? Like, mm-hmm. not everyone can talk to the president that way. Yeah. And well, and, so. and, and in Leo's version, he's just like, cause if, like, if you don't do this, I will run for office. I will beat you. And I, you are going to have to have every army at your disposal to stop. So let me ask, who's the better president? President Shepard or President Bartlett? Hmm. Not to make feelings, well, nothing against the movie, but I'm going to go with Bartlett. And most of this because we got seven what, years many, with Bartlett. Yeah, you only have two hours with this one, so. Yeah. I, sure. is, yeah. I mean, is Michael Douglas a, a great president? Yeah. Is he the better? No. Yeah, I and, struggled with it. I don't know about y'all, but I kept looking at Martin Sheen just going, you should be the president. Um. When I first watched this movie, I didn't think about that. You know, I didn't want to bring them. I, I think Leo is the better um, chief of staff 
and I think uh, Bartlett is the better president. But I, I do think for what we have here, they do a very good job. Also, we have a Leo in this movie. Uh, John Mahoney, Frazier's dad, as the head of the environmental age, uh, lobby. Yeah, he did good in this. He did. I, um, I do sometimes... Uh, like I recently watched... Um, Another Michael Douglas movie called Black Rain. It was like a 1989 Ridley Scott movie back when America was like weirdly obsessed with the Yakuza. And John Spencer was in that. John Spencer was Leo from uh, um, West, West Wing. But I always like to see John Spencer or John Mahoney in things because they're just so good. Honestly, and did you know John Mahoney was British? I had no clue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he, was, he, was, he was born in the UK. He served in the British Army and he came to Chicago and Slowly lost his accent. I would have no idea. <laughs> yeah, that was that's one of those things. Jaw dropper is like, he's from where? Because <laughs> he he totally lost his British accent. And the lady that works for him, Susan, uh, played by Wendy Malick, who you know did a ton of television in the nineties. Uh, she was his love interest in the final season of Frasier. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So, weird question. Uh, do we like Annette Benning? Yeah, I think she's like the yeah, other woman. She's a fair job. Yeah, I, I like her, but I, she's also one of those actresses that I don't rush out. Like, if she's in something, I was probably that I'm seeing probably there for a different reason. <laughs> like, she's never the draw for me, but. No, but she's a, she's a good actress. I, I like any she's in a movie. I'm, I'm, I like that what she does. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, she's she's fine in Death on the Nile, but that is a movie where everyone's just fine. Just oh, yeah, fine. you can. <laughs> but um, and she was great in Bugsy, which I think I'm the only person in the world that really liked that movie. I love her as a love interest for some reason, but I do think she does a good job in this particular. Their, their chemistry was... Their chemistry was passable. It wasn't anything like mm-hmm. spectacular, but it didn't. It was good, and it didn't distract or take away from the film in any way. And this movie also has one of my favorite, almost. I don't know if unsung heroes is the right word, but any movie that has David Paymer in it, for some reason, I'm inexplicably a huge fan of it. <laughs> I mean, he, he tends to work mostly with Billy Crystal, but. This is nice to see him here stretching his legs. Yeah. And by that logic, listeners, yes, I do like City Slickers 2, The Legend of Curly's Gold. And you can direct all of your hate mail to Joseph's email. <laughs> Good luck. I won't read it. I usually delete it. <laughs> yeah, that's why I'm sending it to you. <laughs> um, Richard Dreyfus, uh, whenever you need a liberal to play a Republican, I think he does a fantastic job. Yeah, he, uh, he, he, is, is it is it just me or does he seem like he they kind of kind of modeled him after uh, Dick Cheney? Maybe, but um, because that's who I kept seeing. I was like, that's Dick. Well, you know, he did go on to play Dick Cheney, right? He did, but yeah. I was just like, in a movie or, that I felt should have been so much better than what it was. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I also haven't watched that movie in about almost the movie two decades. I felt. Do what? The movie came out way too soon. They should have given. Yeah, that was during the phase of Oliver Stone 
not knowing what he was doing anymore. I I I'd, I wouldn't I wouldn't so much against the timing of W the movie. I just think it could have been. I mean, this is a man that made JFK, Nixon. Uh, I, I get you on that one. I I think yeah. if it would have waited, the main criticism I heard was like, didn't I just live through this? <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I want to watch what I just lived through, just like not too long ago. Yeah. Uh, don't worry, Joseph. The guy that made Step Brothers is going to come along and do it better. So <laughs> you're fine. <That's> true. <laughs> Question for the group: Would anyone vote for if Andrew Shepard, not Bartlett? Andrew Shepard were running for president against Bob Rumson in the real world. Who would you vote for? Shepard. Neither. Look, we'll miss third party. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Shepard has Shepard has some things he stands for that I cannot get behind. Um, and the uh, Richard Dreyfuss's character is an ass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. All right, I'm starting to lose battery power, so you want to move into categories? Yep, sounds good. What about you? You didn't answer the question, though, John. I think we know. I think we know also. It doesn't need to be answered. Categories. Oh, are you wanting me to say it? Yes! Oh, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought we you were going to say it. We have a formula, a very simple formula. <laughs> we can change it up. I don't have to do them every time. Yes, you uh, do. You're so good. All right, fine. Hold on. All right, are we ready to move into our segment? Yeah, why not? <laughs> Sounds like a good idea. See, what you guys didn't hear in the editing process was us arguing about who should lead us into the segment. Uh, funny for you to assume I edited it out. <laughs> also, the words edited it is hard to say. <laughs> you know, since this is behind the scenes episode, we're just going to leave this one yeah. uncut. And what happens, happens. <laughs> look, they're probably, look, this episode is probably coming out on the 4th of July. So <laughs> just make it That's easy. Last of it weren't true. Um, yeah. All right. Well, we start where we always do with uh, Did John like the soundtrack? There's no soundtrack. <laughs> There's just some girl playing uh, Hail to the Chief on a, tr- on a trombone or whatever she was playing. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder Not why I didn't remember it. I mean, it's because it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Name the popular song in American President. Yeah. Well, I mean, at least we know. At least we know what you think. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't WG Snuffy Walden, so I reject your score, <laughs> Mr. Mark Shaman. <laughs> Alrighty, well, since we know what you think, uh, let's find out what Rotten Tomatoes thinks. All right. Can y'all tell me what you think the critic score for Rotten Tomatoes is? Um, it's a Sorkin film, so I'm going to aim pretty high and say like 89. Okay. One dollar. Um, I'm not gonna lie. I know the answer, so I'm gonna abstain. But that's what? the whole point. You said, "Oh, you know the answer." I know the answer. Oh, <laughs> okay. Well, because uh, I was looking for the Ebert review, and it was there. I couldn't avoid it. Well, Sammy, you were really close. It's a ninety-one percent. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> but that's do you the critical. To, do you know score. the audience? Do you know the audience score too, John? 
I don't. Um, All right, there we go. So with this, it being a political movie, I can see it being less than the critic score. So I'm going to go with maybe like an 81. Okay. I'm going to go with a 93. Uh, John was closer on this one. It's at a 77%. Oh. Really? I almost yeah. said 75, but I pushed it up a little bit. Yeah, uh, that's not too much of a difference, though. Actually, yeah. Fairly- I mean, it's still considered fresh, so. Oh, definitely. Like I said, it, it, it's generally liked, so that's that's the thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I guess this is one of those films where I could see the audience liking it less than critics, especially if you're going to get people that didn't like it because of the political views spouted in the movie, which yeah. it, they're irrelevant and they're not the point of the film. It no. is not. And, uh, and also, it is a rom-com, so certain members of the audience, I won't na- name I won't say who, <clears throat> and uh, probably bitch do I having to see a movie where the president falls. No, right, and nothing blew up. Yeah. So I did get the Roger Ebert review though. Um, how many stars out of four do you think Cranky Old Roger Ebert gave this movie? Three. I'm gonna say four. Sammy came in hitting it up. Uh, oh wow. Uh, Roger Ebert gave it four stars. This got two thumbs up from both. Uh, Siskel and Ebert. Uh, Ebert gave it four stars. He says it's hard to make a good love story, harder to make a good comedy, and harder still to make an intelligent film about politics. Rob Reiner is the American president, cheerfully does all three, and is a great entertainment. His review is long. That about sums it up. (laughs) Yeah. But, I mean, this movie didn't get any Oscar attention, but it did get a lot of Golden Globe attention. So... That's something. Yeah. So I do have a creepier chromantic moment of the film. Okay. Creepier chromantic. Um, calling up the woman that you want to ask out, and when she asks you how you got her phone number, you say the FBI. Actually, well, he I believe he said the FBI, the CIA, and the IRS. <laughs> well, if you're the president, even better. If, if you're the president. Romantic. If you're just somebody like me and John, <laughs> if the president does it, it's not romantic, or it is romantic. Well, see, because if we John do that, it's uh, a felony. We're looking at a lot of oh felonies. Oh my gosh! You know <laughs> what? We need to add that. We need to add that to. That's going to be a manly movie of the month for me at some point. Frost versus Nixon. Yes. Uh, I do. Just before you do this, before you commit us to this. You do realize that an hour of that episode is me doing the Nixon impression. <laughs> I don't care. I love that film. And you know I film. will go out and get a copy of the play specifically to have the portions of the dialogue memorized. <laughs> That's okay. I, I think I, I have portions have the, of the dialogue memorized. I actually have the actual interview with Frost and Nixon on DVD. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> Was that one of your two dollar finds, or? Uh, I think it was actually. I was like, oh, for two bucks, I'll, yeah, I want to see this. Sad that I can call that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so, did this movie pass the Bechdel test? What do you guys think? Yes. No. Mm, hold on. I love how you committed and backtracked immediately. I don't think it does. Yes. Does, does, uh, uh, yeah, no, it does. It has to. 
Sydney and the daughter, I'm sure they have a conversation at some point, don't they? And I'm yeah, sure about their Sydney, about her dad. Uh, I guess that's fair. Does Sydney and her sister have a conversation about anybody uh, other than the about president? the president and Richard? God damn. Yeah, I don't think it passed. But that being said, according to BechdelTest.com on the Bechdel Test movie list, the American president passed three out of three tests. Oh, okay. Well, never mind. Does it and explain how? Sydney, Robin, Jane, Lucy, Susan, Beth, and Miss Chapel. Um, that's two of the three. That's all named characters. Uh, and Beth have a conversation about the interaction between Sydney and the president. Sydney and Janie have a conversation about a conversation that passes about history. And Susie and Sydney C- have a few conversations about public policy. There you so, go. Once again, barely. <laughs> Sorry. All right. Am I missing a segment or is we moving into best worst line? I think we're at best line, worst line. Okay. All right. Yeah. Pause. yeah. All right. So um, moving into our next segment, um, and I think we're going to have to cap ourselves at something less than the entire script. Um, <laughs> for best line, worst line. Or we could just say it's the entire script and cut this uh, segment incredibly short. John Joseph, do you have best lines? Um, do we have best lines? <laughs> one of my favorites, and it's it made me laugh. Uh, it, it, it's a little sleepy. She's like, "Why did I have to kiss him?" She's like, "It's when she's talking to her sister." She's like, "You kissed him? You didn't tell me that. Where did you kiss him? On the mouth? Where in the White House? The dish room? The dish room? Yeah, the China room." And she's like, "And then what happened? Uh, he had to go attack Libya." It's always something. <laughs> <laughs> that one's um, uh, I know this line is very cliche and hack at this point, and um, very much a Reddit slash Facebook um, comment section line. But in 1995, this line probably was incredibly powerful. And it's Lewis uh, replying when AJ says the president doesn't answer to you. Lewis says. Oh, yes, he does, AJ. I'm a citizen. This is my president. And in this country, it is not only permissible to question our leaders, it's our responsibility. <laughs> the irony yeah. of this is that Michael J. Fox is Canadian. So, <laughs> Sammy, you got one? Um, yeah, yes. <laughs> um, I have multiple. One, okay, I, I guess I'm debating between the ones that I think are really well written and some of the funny ones, but I'll go with the funny one first. Those are usually um, the same ones. So when they're when they're on the way to the when they're on the way to um, I think or I can't remember if he's on the way to the uh, airport and he calls to cancel the day and he's wanted to stop by the flower shop and he go, you think there's a florist in there planning an assassination on the off chance that I might be stopping by? <laughs> because it's possible. It's a possibility. <laughs> I got another one uh, when he, he's watching Bob Rumson talk about him on television. Yep. And, uh, now Mr. Shepard's read a lot of bu- books, but it doesn't take a Harvard degree to see this one coming a mile down the road. And President Shepard's like, I went to Stanford, you blowhole. Speaking of that, another one when he's like, oh, wait a minute, here comes my favorite part. My name is Bob Rumson. I'm running for president. Sure glad he cleared that up. Sammy, it's your turn now. Yep. <laughs> I declared uh, in the pre-show, but we got to bring back briefly the you can't handle the truth segment, the line that basically is just like so iconic, none of us can 
claim it, although it very closely became the You Pancake Eating Motherfucker Award <laughs> to the com- to the lines, uh, she didn't say anything about me? No, but I could always pass her a note before study hall. <laughs> no. Does anyone have any worse lines? I do not. I kind of do, and it's not because it's a bad line. It's just because it's it was a cheap shot. And that's when he gave her the flowers and she was, she, I can't remember what she said to him, but he goes, I do have a rose garden. Yeah. And I was like, oh, it, it was low hanging fruit. It was. <laughs> I have no worse lines either, so we can move forward. Alrighty. Um, so our second to last segment being the good, the bad, and the ugly. So, mm. I mean, I really don't have any... Bad or ugly? Do y'all, do y'all have anything good? Mm, do we, uh, well, I don't have anything bad or ugly either. Um, Neither. Like I said this whole movie was a joy to watch. Yeah, and and also this movie is very much like a, t- a test pilot for the West Wing. So you see the the threads of what what is about to happen. So oh, yeah, that was a really good relationship. I agree. Mm-hmm. I about that, but. It was a, a very loving relationship. You can tell that they mm-hmm. respected each other, and there was not, they could have easily played into the whole, like, well, he's never around type of thing. Yeah. Well, and, and then you see, did. yeah. Well, and you see that even in a very packed day, I mean, he has to schedule it, but at least he's making time for his daughter. Oh, yeah. And then he gives and her an incredibly old uh, textbook <laughs> that she has to recover to cover <laughs> to discuss at dinner. <laughs> He was overselling it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I had to look her up because I was like, didn't she grow up to be in something? And the answer was like, no, 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 not really. <laughs> I mean, she was in things. I've never heard of them. You've never heard of them. So. <sighs> so. Yeah, I don't. Else? I mean, I don't have any. I mean, we've talked. I, I don't think there's anything left to say on the writing. Of course, it's fantastic. Um. And I, you know, I like that this took something that was really a simple story and that's just the evidence of how good it is and that you don't have to have something new or fresh or complex to do a good job with it. You just have to, Mm -hmm. you just have to know what you're doing. You have to be a good writer. You have to have uh, an understanding of dialogue and the way that people think. Um, And then I think all of the, they did a really good job casting this. The cast worked well together. Mm-hmm. So, no, I, I don't think there's anything really they could have done much better to execute this um, other mm. than exactly what they did and turn it into a, a one-hour drama. I have one last question before the big one. And this is really mostly for Sammy. If you could get your hands on the 300-plus page original draft of this script, would you read it? Probably. I would like an audiobook. <laughs> yeah, I think that's kind of where I am too. I'd like an audiobook. Yeah. But I do have a question for y'all, and you're welcome okay. to answer this. You can say that you want to answer this after or before, but kind of the, what we did with our Nicholas Sparks. Um, I want to start because I think that we've got a lot of his films coming up. I want to know what y'all's Aaron Sorkin ranking is. Where does this fall? Of the ones we have covered so far? Yes. Um, sure. Well, that was more me stretching it out. 
I'm trying to remember what all three were again. Of the th- what? Okay, why don't we do the big question and then we'll do this ranking. Okay. Joseph, Sammy, did you elect the American president? <laughs> Let's go, <laughs> Joseph. Okay. Uh, yeah, I I elect the American president and I, I survived this movie. It was really good. I forgot how good it was. Uh, it was one of those that was it was a joke. I could watch it again. Yeah. Um, yes, I survived. Um, I have yet to find an Aaron Sorkin film. I have not. So we're still. I know John's about to say challenge accepted. Um, no, I I think the only contenders uh, for worst Aaron Sorkin, your reaction is going to be like, yeah, it's good. I don't know if I'm going to watch it again. Yeah. So no, this is good. The love story was cute. Um, I, you know, I really liked the characters. I was invested. The dialogue was great. So yeah, I survived. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, and it's three for three here. I survived as well. Um, I will say, um, this is one I used to watch a lot, and then I kind of got out of the habit of watching it because it's a little show came along. Sammy, you might have heard of it. It's called The West Wing. <laughs> and the this is a good movie. It, it, it borders on great. Could be great. I wouldn't. I would not put the great on there. But what I would say is, if I have the choice between watching this, a two-hour version, or a seven-year-long, longer saga, I'm going to go with The West Wing, just because. I mean, I see shades of The West Wing here, but. I'd rather just, you know, spend spend time with Josh and Leo and Toby and Bartlett and Charlie and those guys. But when every now and then, yeah, I will happily pull this off the shelf. So now do we want to do our rankings? Sure. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna guess that we all three possibly have the same ranking. Well, I'm gonna guess that Joseph and I have the same ranking, and I can guess and I'm gonna guess the same. Okay. Okay, go right. for it. All right. I'm going to say all three of us have this film in the number three spot American President. And then Joseph and I are going to have Molly's Game at two. And you're going to have Molly's Game at one. Whereas we're going to have Social Network as one. And you're going to have it at two. How close you, am I? You are close, but not correct. I really, really, really fight with Molly's Game and Social Network because both of those films I love for very, very different reasons. But I almost have to say Social Network gets the number one spot just by the fact that I would be more likely to watch it. Okay. Like, that movie's pure... That movie's not only brilliant in every aspect, but it's enjoyable. Like, I can sit down and watch that at any time. Molly's Game is really good, but it's also kind of heavy. So I sort of have to be in the mood to watch it. Okay, Joseph. Um, you're only wrong because I have not seen Molly's Game yet, and I wasn't on the episode, so I, I that I'm actually just to number three. Okay, new doubleheader: the choice mm-hmm. in Molly's Game, <laughs> and we must watch the choice first because we cannot have Molly's Game clouding his opinion. Uh, but it would be <laughs> American President and then Social Network. Whenever we get to show Joseph the choice is currently up in the air, but next week, uh, like everyone else, we're going to add the rainbow tent to our profile pic, 
which by the way, Sammy, I'm going to need you to figure out how to do that. <laughs> but uh, next month, assuming that uh, I finally got all of the editing caught up and we're putting these things out on time, next month is Pride Month. So we've got our four. We're once again going to do the LGBT, but we're doing it GLBT this time because we flip-flopped. And we are kicking things off next week with one of the greatest, air quotes, horror films of all time. A sequel to a film that Sammy liked, I believe. Actually really liked, I believe. Called A Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> and I know I can hear the gears turning in, in Sammy's head going, how does this qualify? You're going to, oh, it's going to be so obvious. <laughs> because the writer on this movie th thought that what he was doing was subtext. <laughs> and that man clearly did not know it was just text. <laughs> but um, I, I kind of wanted to do this one for a while, and I've been needing to see, for Sammy to see more of the Elm Street films, because the next Elm Street film after two is my legit favorite of the franchise. But I have some opinions about... Um, Elm Street 2. And Sammy's going to have to watch it on her own, so I know she's excited. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if it's, I, if it's not that bad, then I'm not worried about it. Yeah. Plus, it's got one of the bullies from, uh, from uh, Weird Science in it, so you got that to look forward to. Oh, well, there you go. So, yeah, so we're kicking out Pride Months next month, and I'll just go ahead and announce the other three movies uh, for anyone that wants to watch along. Uh, we're going to be doing Nightmare on Elm Street 2. We're going to be doing But I'm a Cheerleader. Uh, for Bisexual Week, we're going to do a movie called Shiva Baby that may have both of uh, my co-hosts hating me. Because <laughs> it asks the question, is this movie a comedy or is it a horror film? <laughs> we can't uh, tell. Remember, <laughs> remember that Joseph and I get picks after this month. I know. And then uh, for our transgender film this month i i don't know if this one is beloved by the community or not but it has a decent rotten tomato score apparently so we're gonna go with tangerine so it's gonna be an interesting month i don't think quite as heavy a month but i also have not seen tangerine i haven't either so this will be a first mm -hmm. i think for all of us yeah i have seen one of sean baker's other films uh, i saw the florida project so and that was good, and I believe it also uh, properly has set me up for what um, for what uh, Tangerine's going to be like. So, does anybody have anything they want to plug? I and do. If so, and if so, and I'm talking to myself here, keep it brief, just because battery life is low. Oh, I'm keeping it extremely brief, because we talked mm -hmm. about this in pre-show, but mm -hmm. I just watched the uh, Netflix documentary Game Changers, and I highly recommend it. It's it's interesting. It's kind of a slow start for the first like short period, but then it gets then it gets really interesting. It's not a, it's not a very long documentary, and um, yeah. Joseph, you got anything you want to plug? Um, I just have a PSA kind of like uh, if you ever decide you want to go watch want to watch the horror film House at the End of the Street, don't. It's bad. It's really bad. Okay, Joseph. Based on our text messages, Joseph recently. Which would you rather watch uh, on a loop? House at the edge of the house at the end of the street, aka hashtag hates, or the cat in the hat? 
No, suicide is not an option. There's no House third of, option. It, it, I think I'd rather watch House of the Street, and I don't even know if that's a enthusiastic one or not. <laughs> it's just like, this sucks, but it could be worse. It, it could be a lot worse. It's yeah. more like just bland. It could be the cat in the hat. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll keep it brief, but I saw the films Downton Abbey... Um, a new era. I almost called it a new hope. <laughs> it's like, it's a completely different franchise, but um, if you like Downton Abbey and you want some more Downton Abbey, it delivers. And uh, also brief shout out. Um, if you like George Carlin, please hop over to HBO and watch the four hour documentary that Judd Apatow co-directed about Carlin. It's the only time you're going to watch a Judd Apatow film and think, God, I wish this was longer. I do need to watch that. It's good. So, all right. Well, listeners, thank you for uh, coming on board and riding this train with us. And I hope you come back next week. Uh, and Joseph and Sammy, you have no choice. Until then, yeah. Until then, just remember we are surviving chip flicks and we are podcasters. Surviving chip flicks is brought to you by the Circle of Jug. The show is edited by John, and all clips used are the property of their copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, and leave us a five-star rating at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get the show. If there's anything you would like us to cover on the show, or just drop us a line at survivingchickflicks at gmail.com. The show is copyright 2022. Circle of Jug Productions, all rights reserved. Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. Oh, by the way, accompanied by my shoes. The President of France and Madame Dastier.